Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel, Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Great to be together. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark. And we are in chapter 1. So we'll pick up where we left off in chapter 1 at verse 21. So Mark chapter 1, verse 21. This morning we, uh, we certainly want to lift up the Simpsons. Uh, they are at Calvary Chapel Chester Springs today. Um, Jeff is doing the Sunday morning teaching and then they're highlighting the ministry a bit and, and all those things. So we want to be praying for that. I think Jeff said this was the first time he ever taught a Sunday morning service. So he's a little nervous uh, about it. So we'll pray for Jeff. Jeff's a behind the scenes kind of guy and he likes it there. And so the Lord is stretching him and that's always fun. Uh, so we'll pray for those guys. They're going to be here next week, um, and I do want to encourage you. They will we'll have a potluck in the evening. Potlucks are a lot of fun when people bring stuff. Um, so if you would please bring something to that, we'll have a good time together. Five o'clock, it's part of our all-church prayer meeting, so five to seven. We'll eat a little bit. They'll share what's going on, and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be right here. Um, and then also, Saturate 628, first group's going out today. When we, uh, we had our first ever event in this building, you may recall, it was kind of like learn the building. It was on a Saturday evening. Uh, at the conclusion of that evening, we said something to the effect of, you know, let's really go for it as far as uh, taking the gospel to our community around us. Not just be the kind of church where, you know, if you want to come, you're welcome, but we go. Uh, we're doing that. And so this is directly a response to that. And we're going to be going out all week. Um, to various places. And I do want to, one thing um, that Jay didn't mention, you didn't know to mention it, so I'm not blaming you in any way. Um, if you're available during the week, like, you, you know, you don't, maybe you're a school teacher and you don't have to go anywhere during the day or something, and you want to just take a neighborhood and hit the 50 homes in that neighborhood, um, well, then we'll send you out. That'll be 50 less that we have to hit in the evening, and you get to go out for a walk. Uh, so um, reach out to Kevin. Kevin's over here, and he'll be in the fellowship hall uh, we want to hit every home, 4,604 residences in the 08628 zip code that we intend to hit. And then we're going to hit 1,8 in a few weeks and then 3,8 in a few weeks and 08,534, I think. What is that? Is that Pennington? So we're just going to hit all the areas around here. Um, so join us in that uh, audacious goal. Uh, there you have it. Are you with me? Okay, good. So I'll see you. All right. Turn. Anyway, are you there? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. And Lord, we do pray for every one of these little bags that go out with, a, uh, with the, the video, the Jesus film, Lord, with uh, some reading material, with some information about our church and the gospel and some tracts. Lord, we pray that every one of those that goes out uh, would make an impact, that people would be challenged, that they would consider Lord, we especially pray for those in our uh, area that know you already, that this would be an encouragement to them uh, to, to go out of their comfort zone and to communicate the message of hope with others. But, Lord, we are praying for those that aren't saved, Lord, that they would receive this material. Maybe some people for the first time would consider the gospel message that sin can be forgiven and that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do pray that you would break through the lies that so often grip our souls uh, that there's no hope for me. 
and that you would speak truth into those circumstances and, and people's lives would be transformed by this simple act. Lord, we thank you for those that have provided all of these materials, Lord, to putting it on the heart of that super rich person to do this across the United States. And, and Lord, I, I appreciate his anonymity, her maybe, anonymity, just wants to be used and no glory for themselves. Lord, bless them even this morning with that. And bless our efforts, we pray. We pray for our brother Jeff and Linda and Faith and Christian, I think, will make their way there as well. Lord, bless Jeff as he teaches. Use him there. And Lord, to be an encouragement, to be a challenge. Lord, I pray that you would even raise up someone to go to the mission field from uh, his message this morning. And Father, we pray for us. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, I think of one of those words in the last song we sang about the safety of this place. And Lord, to be able to come and to sit under your word, your truth. Lord, for all of the ages, truth. Not relative to a particular moment in time, but it's truth. And for us to just sit under it now, the safety of this place to hear from you. Lord, we do pray that you would draw our hearts into your presence. You would speak uh, in just a very clear way to us. We will know what it is you have said to us as we go from this place. And so bless your word as it goes forth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 1, starting right there in verse uh, 21, which is where we left off. Now, let me just remind you real quick, we are in, we're looking at what is called the Galilean ministry of Christ. It takes, it's about a year, a little bit more than a year in length. Uh, but this isn't the first year of Jesus's ministry. We're actually in the second year of Jesus's ministry. John chapter 1 through John chapter 4 reveals to us that after his baptism, Jesus hung out down in that area of Jerusalem and Judea, the desert area there, and he ministered down there for about 10 months or, or close to a year there as well. So we're now in like the second year of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus, during the, the beginning of this Galilean ministry, went to the Sea of Galilee where he encountered a bunch of fishermen, four in particular. And he reached, called out to them and he told them, leave what you're doing, leave your livelihood, leave your business, leave your security, leave everything you know and everything you have done before and come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he called Simon and Andrew. He called Peter, or James and John. Simon also called Peter. And he called those four men to take that radical step to follow him and to become disciples. And they did that. And they put their faith into action and they went with him to wherever it is they he was going to take them and they didn't know and he didn't spell it all out for him this is what it's going to be like and you know put it out here and here's the trajectory and it's going to be great and yes you got to take a little bit of a chance but don't worry he just simply said follow me and i will make you fishers of men and they stepped out in obedience and they went and followed him now in the passage that we're reading today this comes immediately after that I'm pretty sure all four of them were thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Because as you read this next paragraph here, that's what all of us would be thinking, I'm sure. It goes on. Let me read it to you. Verse 21. And so they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Here's the part. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. 
And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority, and he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of the Galilee. Well, again, what a, quite a first day of ministry, isn't it? And if I'm James and I'm John, I'm thinking, you know, I just need to run to the car and, and, and keep going, you know, and get out of there. What is this going to be about to follow you? My goodness. Now, they go to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this wasn't the city that Jesus grew up in. He grew up in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, of course, returned to uh, the area of Nazareth, and he grew up there. But at some point in time in his adult years, Jesus transitioned, and Capernaum kind of became his adopted hometown. So he spent a lot of time in the area uh, of, of um, Capernaum there. This is what it says in Matthew chapter it says, and leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so this became sort of his adopted hometown. It was also the place where Peter and Andrew lived. And we don't know for sure, but we suspect James and John also lived there as well. And so he spent a ton of time in this particular place. And so in that regard, during those years of his active ministry, um, Capernaum was a pretty privileged city. They have Jesus living right there. At any moment in time, you could walk down the street and knock on the, the door of the house that he was staying at there. And yet, sadly, we come to discover at the end of things, as Jesus' public ministry is about to wrap up, this is what we read in Matthew chapter 11. It says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, done because they did not repent. And then skipping a verse or so, he says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. That's one of those cities that did not repent. Exalted in the sense of, man, what an opportunity. Jesus is right there, you know, down the street. And yet they didn't respond to Christ for whatever reason it might be. This is always kind of pointed out to me, the young person that grows up in the Christian faith and they never embraces the Christian faith for themselves. You know, they they have so much privilege, so much opportunity to hear the word of God, to see it lived out, hopefully faithfully, by their parents, and yet they never embrace it for themselves. And Capernaum is like that in so many ways here. But before us this morning, this is really the first recorded time, at least, that Jesus is going to go into the synagogue there in Capernaum. And if you've been on the Israel trip with us, we go to that synagogue. It's so cool. It's not built any longer here. It's in ruins. And you can kind of see the different layers of the synagogue and then a church and then another church that were built on it. And we go and we kind of stand right there and imagine Jesus probably went to the front of the room and taught out to the people and things like that. So if we ever go back to Israel, which we're talking about doing, uh, we'll hit that again, certainly so. But notice here, verse 21, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, let's talk a little bit about the, the synagogue. A synagogue is similar in many ways to a present-day church facility. Now, the synagogue was not the temple, all right? Even though today some Jews, when they go to synagogue, they, they say something like, we're going to temple, all right? There, there was only one temple, and it was in Jerusalem, and it's been destroyed now for coming up close to 2,000 years. All right, and so the place where Jews today will gather is in a synagogue. The place where these guys had gathered was not the temple, it was a synagogue. And synagogues were scattered all throughout 
the area of Israel. Anywhere where there was a population of 10 adult male family leaders, they were required to have a synagogue of sorts. And so Capernaum is a pretty large Jewish village, and so they certainly did. Jewish code required that they have a synagogue there. Now the temple was the place where the various sacrifices occurred. The synagogues were the place where study happened, where worship, if you will, much like we just did in song, and where prayer took place. Those things happened in the synagogues. In fact, the word synagogue, it means place of gathering or place of assembling, assembling for the purpose there of learning. And so in that sense, it's very, very similar to what we're doing here this Sunday morning. Some differences, synagogues were, o- were not overseen by the priesthood. The priesthood does their work down at the temple. The synagogues did not have one main rabbi that would be the teacher, or they didn't even have a group of rabbis necessarily that would be the teachers on a given Sabbath day. The synagogues instead, they were, in, they were controlled by a council of, it, we'll use the word lay, lay individuals, and one of those individuals was appointed to be the ruler of the synagogue, which I assure you is a lot, the, the title's a lot more glamorous than it actually is. The ruler of the synagogue was essentially the janitor or he was in charge of the buildings and grounds of the facility, and he would unlock the door and things like that. And so, a little bit different, no established rabbi who would teach every given Sabbath morning. They had no set teachers, um, and there was no permanent preacher or teacher. They would practice what's called the freedom of the synagogue, which is similar. If any of you have friends that come, or maybe you come out of a Quaker type of background, where you would gather at the, the meeting place, And then whoever had something on their heart would share. And typically, you know, that guy, he always shares. You know, he would get up and he would share. That's basically what they would do. And so if there was a traveling rabbi of sorts that was coming through, the ruler of the synagogue would be like, hey, you know, how would you like to share this Saturday at synagogue? And then that guy would teach or person would teach in that particular instance there. And that's what opens the door now for Jesus who's not even really a a real rabbi as far as the system is concerned with all the classes and stuff like that, that's what opened the door for him to teach because he was seen as a guy with a message and so he was provided a platform, if you will, from which to share that message. So verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching. So he gets up there, he does his thing and they're astonished at his teaching because notice he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So catch that. It wasn't so much that Jesus was teaching different things than the scribes, but he taught them in a different manner. And so the scribes, they knew the Old Testament. They knew those things. They were experts in those things, and they presented those things. But Jesus taught them in a different manner. It says here that he taught them as one that had authority. My favorite TV show. Some of you know me well. What's my favorite TV show? Okay, some of you said Seinfeld. It's the West Wing. All right, I love the West Wing. It's a political drama. I don't know if you've seen it. I've watched it like five times on uh, Netflix or whatever. It's like, all right, man, you've got to move on to something else. Anyhow, I like the West Wing. If you don't know much about the West Wing, I think it came out in the 2000s or whatever. It's, the, it's a political drama. It's about a guy that serves as president and then the aides and stuff that work with him. And they just sort of follow their lives here. And there's one episode in particular that they, they flash back to the time when the man who will go on to become the president before he was president. 
He was just deciding he was going to run for president. And he's given these speeches and hardly anybody goes to these speeches and so on. And in one instance, he's up in New Hampshire, which is, you know, in real life even, the first primary state. And so he's going up there and he's presenting this particular speech. And it's just one of many candidates' speeches on that particular day until something about the way that that man, his name is Bartlett in the show, as Bartlett begins, begins to speak, something about it begins to resonate with the audience. And in a way, he speaks in such a way that most political speeches at that time didn't. Now, you're probably like, all right, what's the point here? So there's a scene there where one of the guys that's sort of listening isn't really listening. And so the guy's talking, he's just kind of like looking at his newspaper. But then Bartlett begins to speak in a certain way. And he begins, he puts down his newspaper and he kind of pulls back and he looks at this guy and instantaneously he knows that's my candidate. I think of that scene, and I've seen it too many times, I think of that scene when I think of what's going on here uh, in this synagogue that Sabbath morning, that Saturday morning. Because lots of rabbis had come in and done their particular thing, and scribes, and they had shared what they were going to share. But something was different about this particular Saturday morning, where people, little kids, I imagine, are doing their little sheets you know, they're doodling or whatever. We give those sheets out here sometimes. And they're doing that. And other people like you, you're looking at me very nicely. But you're staring through me thinking about this afternoon and the beach you're going to hit and all that kind of stuff. And they're not really paying attention, but they kind of are paying attention. And then all of a sudden, something about the way Jesus speaks causes people to focus in and to put down their newspapers and to pay attention. Look what it says in verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, which, as he points out, was very different from the way the scribes taught. Now, the scribes, lest, if you don't know, they were experts in the Old Testament law. But not just in the Old Testament law, like we have our old, we can read it, the Old Testament as well. They were experts in the various codes and customs of, that the Jewish rabbis accumulated over the years about the Old Testament law. And so these were the guys, their job would be to write out the Old Testament in in scroll form and then give that scroll to a local um, synagogue. And then they would do it again and give it to another synagogue. That was part of their job. Well, if you wrote out the Old Testament over and over and over again, you'd get pretty good at it as well. And so the scribes were experts in the Old Testament law, but they were also experts in the various interpretations of the Old Testament law, the codes, the customs, the policies, the procedures of a good Jewish person, things that weren't in the Bible, but they became standard practice of that particular day. The word scribe, it literally means writer. That's what it means. It's a writer. And again, that was their main responsibility to write those particular things out. Now, as experts of the Old Testament law, they were oftentimes asked to speak at these assemblies, at these synagogues. And so notice Mark says that, Jesus distinctively taught not as them. That means they taught too. But the scribes were different from Jesus because the scribes taught, if you will, from authority, whereas Jesus spoke with authority. And there's a distinction. What the scribes would do is they would quote the various rabbis in their teachings. Jesus would just simply say what it means. So the scribes would never stick their neck out Never take a chance on a passage. This is what this passage means. But instead, they would say something to this effect. They would say, well, this is what Rabbi so-and-so says. 
And Rabbi so-and-so says this text means this. They would never, if you will, take a bold stance there. And then if you ever had a problem with the scribes, what they would simply do is, well, say, well, you know, your problem's not with me. It's with Rabbi so-and-so. And And so then they just kind of floated off and got the munchkins that were served after service or something like that, and they moved on their way. Jesus, though, interestingly, he would say something to the effect, this is what this passage means, this is what this passage means, this is what this passage means. We have recorded examples for us in the New Testament where Jesus would even say, well, you've heard what Rabbi so-and-so said, but I say unto you. So not only would he say what the passage meant, he would correct other people who were wrong about what the passages meant. He was bold. He took his stance, and he wasn't afraid that he was going to be wrong. Obviously, he's not going to be wrong here. This is a different guy, and this is why people put their newspapers down at synagogue to pay attention to what this guy had to say because he was a very different guy, and he taught with personal authority, an authority authority that needed nothing more beyond himself. I don't have to quote someone to prove my point. And he spoke, if you will, with the finality of the voice of God, which is certainly something he could do because he was God or is God. And the people never heard anyone teach like this before. And they were astonished by it because he was no new teacher. Such a different flavor that particular Saturday morning. Such a different flavor. He spoke as one sent from the Lord. Now look at verse 23. It continues, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I've always found it to be a somewhat strange commentary on the spiritual situation in Capernaum that a demon-possessed man could worship in their synagogue with no sense of being out of place. It's comfortable just kind of sitting there on a typical day. Well, when Jesus begins to teach, that all changes. And I made mention of this when we began our study in the gospel. One of the things that Mark sets out to do, and it's somewhat unique to his writings compared to Matthew and Luke and even John, one of the things that Mark was very much interested in was the mighty works that Jesus did while he was on the earth. And one of those mighty works in particular was Jesus's interactions with and authority over the unclean spirits. Unclean spirits is another way of saying demons. And so Mark's particularly interested in that. In the Gospels, in the four Gospels, uh, unclean spirits, demons, those sorts of terms uh, appear 22 times in all four Gospels. 11 of those times it appears in the Gospel of Mark. And so Mark's particularly struck to write twice as much as or equal to all the rest of them combined, he writes about Jesus's interactions with the demonic. And the scriptures plainly tell us the reality of demonic activity. And so sometimes in the 21st century here, we're thinking, well, they were just superstitious back then, you know, and they thought, you know, kind of things and everything must be attributed to something like that. But all through the gospels, we are introduced to people who are either possessed by or oppressed by, and I'll spend some time with that, demons. And even as Jesus can live inside of a person, so one uninhabited by Jesus can be inhabited by a demon. Is that clear? Did I say that clear? So I do not believe that a Christian can be inhabited by a demon. I do not believe the scripture teaches that. People people teach that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. 
But an unbeliever who does not have Jesus dwelling in them can be possessed by a demon. And we see that throughout the scripture. And particularly during the ministry of Jesus, the public ministry of Jesus, it seems that something stirred up their activity in an especially active manner. And so we see lots of instances, and Mark in particular chooses to write about those, whereas the other gospel writers, they mention it here and there, but not as much as Mark does. Now, I would also say the activity of demons continues to this day. Paul the Apostle, he wrote this, Ephesians chapter 6. He said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And there are spiritual forces for good, the angelic, and for evil, working behind the scenes to impact people's eternity. And as the scripture makes clear, a person can open themselves up not only to be influenced by the spiritual forces of evil, but even to be inhabited or possessed by the spiritual forces of evil. And here in Mark chapter 2 is one such instance. And so how can a person open themselves up to it? Well, exposure to things such as spiritism, where people are interacting with spirits, for instance. Astrology, I would suggest to you, opens people up to it. Certain types of yoga opens people up to it. Occult practices, mind-altering drugs, even things like board games like the Ouija board opens people up to the spiritual forces of evil. Years ago, like a year ago, there was this little thing with pencils or something, and you would balance the pencils on each other and then talk to the pencils, and it would rotate and turn and give you a yes or no answer, and like third grade kids are doing it. Things like that can open a person up to spiritual forces of evil because a demon can hop on that and use that as its uh, ability to communicate with that particular individual. And those things are spiritually dangerous, and they're real. And they open doors to the demonic world that are better left closed. And a demon-possessed individual is actually indwelt and can be controlled by an evil spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that that spirit always is in control. That fellow came into that synagogue and was probably sitting quietly, just expecting a normal synagogue service. And then Jesus began to talk, and the demon was stirred. All right, so they can control a person, but that doesn't mean that that person is always out of control, if you will. But there are certain things that can trigger, it seems, the demonic, and Jesus' teaching that Sabbath morning did. Now, I imagine many of us in here, we've heard stories of the demon possessed. Maybe we've seen movies. My day, when I was little, I was too scared to watch it, but I've heard about it, The Exorcist and things like that, all those horror movies or whatever. Typically, it's somebody filled with some demon and their head spins around and all this kind of stuff and then a little baby chucky comes running out or whatever it's very scary all right <laughs> a little da all right but i'm sure you've heard stories or seen it on movies where the demon will uh supernaturally empower a person it gives them if you will this supernatural strength or they become violently blasphemous in some sort of way That's not as far-fetched as you might think. Acts chapter 19, we read this account. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, 
look at that. There were there were enough demons around that people had jobs where they traveled around to deliver people of their demons. There were some itinerant Jewish exodists or exorcists who undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, does that seem like a person who knows Jesus? Not really, right? There's like 10 degrees of separation. So verse 14, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. One man filled with a demon or demons able to overpower the seven sons of Sceva there. That's a supernatural strength. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And so a person can be. Now, again, Mark addresses demons on 11, not different occasions, at least six different occasions there, where the words used 11 different times. I'm going to come back as we hit them to different aspects of demon possession. But as I'm writing this at a particular point in time, I was like, I'm tired of thinking about demons. Can we get to Jesus again? So I do want to talk a little bit more about um, the demonic and what the Bible teaches on it, because I think there's a lot of error in thinking about demonology, if that's even a term, I don't even know, that kind of floats around the church. For instance, people that have a problem with a particular um, area of sin, like I, I lust, for instance. Well, people will say, well, he has a demon of lust. The Bible doesn't teach that. And yet people say it. And so I just have to go to some service and get delivered of my demon of lust. It'd be nice if it was that simple. But it's a process of daily dying to self. That's how you get rid of your demon of lust. So we'll talk more about that here. But the Bible does make clear that a person can be possessed by a demon or even demons. We read in Mark chapter 5 an instance where uh, a person has a legion of demons. A legion was a number in the Roman army of 6,000 soldiers. And so I don't know if that literally means that person had 6,000 demons. The idea is lots and lots of demons possess this particular person here. So what happens before us then, let's pick up in verse 24, we see this demon then challenging Jesus. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now that phrase, the Holy One of God, that is a reference to, the word holy, it has to do with the idea of being set apart, separate, distinct, different. And so to say that someone is the set apart one of God is to say he's the Messiah. That's what this demon is saying here. He says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. Now, one might think Jesus would be like, well, great, tell everybody you know because I'm trying to get the word out or whatever to this demon. But Jesus instead says to this guy, be silent and come out of him. To put it in another way, Jesus says, shut up. Don't talk. Come out of him. Here, he tells the evil spirit to do that. Notice Jesus doesn't debate with the evil spirit. He doesn't talk with the evil spirit. He doesn't have a conversation with him. He doesn't demand to know his name. There are some that teach that the only way a person can be delivered of a demon is if we learn the name of that demon, and then we will command the demon by that name, and then he has to come out, and so you've got to wrestle for hours to find out the name of this demon, as if 
the demon's going to tell you his true name anyway. They're liars. They're deceivers. They're not going to in the whole process here. Jesus doesn't get in all that. He just says, be quiet, come out of him. And the demon has to respond and has to listen, and he does here. Jesus, let me go back. Remember Jewish exorcist from Acts chapter 19? Well, there were people that did that. They traveled around. They, they had the ministry of delivering people. Now, those Jewish exorcists, you can read about them historically. There's not much in the Bible about them, but historically you can read about them. They would, they would basically do a whole bunch of ceremonies, uh, activities. Like you can imagine, they would light their candles and there's certain prayers you have to pray. And they would do all these sorts of things. Jesus doesn't get involved in any of those things, just with a word. And that's what shocks these guys even. And we'll see that as we read a few verses later. So not only does he teach with authority, but with a word, he commands these spirits to come out, and they come out here. It demonstrates the authority of the Lord here. Um, Verse 27, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority, and he commands even the unclean spirits, and and they obey him. So his words, his teaching amazed them, and it was amazing. But the reality is, anybody could say anything, right? You could go find a guy that's a real good speaker and speaks with authority and say anything they want and be impressed by that. And what Mark demonstrates for us here is sort of one of these things that just anybody can't do. Anyone could say what they want to say with the tone that they want to say it, but anyone could not command an unclean spirit to shut up and come out of a man and have it listen to them. And so what Mark then does for the first time in his gospel, something he's going to do many times throughout this gospel, is he emphasizes Jesus' teaching with the demonstration of Jesus' power. And we're going to see that again. So that's one of those themes look for as we're studying through the book of Mark. You remember the story. This is actually in the next chapter, so we won't do too much on it today. But in the very next chapter, a a person that is paralyzed is brought to Jesus. And Jesus is then interacting with the guy, and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the paralyzed man's friends are probably thinking, not his sins. No, he's sick. He's hurt. He can't walk. That's what we're here, he's here for. And all of the people that are surrounding are like, who has the authority to forgive sin? How dare he? And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, I think I wrote it down here. It says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? This is Mark chapter 2. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to rise, take up your bed and walk? So again, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven? Because nobody knows. I don't know what's going on inside of you. But if I say, get up, take your bed, and walk, and you can't get up and take your bed and walk, well, then I look for as the charlatan that I am. So when he says, Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So again, Jesus' teaching, your sins are forgiven, are being confirmed by the mighty work that he has done. And John takes notice of it excuse me, Mark does, and he puts it down on paper for us to take notice of as well. Well, you can imagine people left there ready to talk about service. You ever gone home from service and, you know, like your, your wife couldn't come, she was sick or something, and she says, how was church today? And you say, good, or whatever. Some of you probably say, boring, long, or whatever. But, you know, you say, it was good. Well, I'm pretty sure 
when these guys were asked this question, oh my goodness, let me tell you, sit down. First off, this guy got up. Secondly, this demon man, you know the guy, that won't, you know that guy, or whatever. And, and they probably talked about it and talked about it and talked about it um, that particular day. So notice verse 28. It says, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the region of Galilee. Imagine that. Because every person that was in that building left and told others what they had seen and observed and witnessed that particular day. Isn't that cool? Well, service is over. Not ours. Um, (laughs) Their service is over. And Jesus is going to if you will, have Sunday lunch, Saturday lunch uh, at some friend's house, which is going to bring us to verse 29 there. Immediately he left the synagogue. He entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John and Simon's mother-in-law. She lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told the Lord about her. And he came up and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Verse 32, that evening at sundown. They brought to him all who were sick or were oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So catch that. Remember, it's Sabbath day. People weren't allowed to do work on the Sabbath day. There were certain things they could do. They could make their way over to the synagogue because they lived a certain distance from it and so on. But as far as bringing all of their friends to be healed of their diseases or delivered of their particular demons. That's something they're not allowed to do. And so notice verse 32. It says there, that evening at sundown, they brought them all who were sick. Because at sundown, Sabbath is over. And so these people are sitting by the door. Get your shoes on. We're leaving. Once the stars start to appear, we're going to make it there. And then they're going to go. So that means, and and I'm going to end with this, that Jesus did his thing in the morning. He got up early. He went to church. And he went to his Sabbath service. He taught there. Teaching, I'll tell you, friends, it's a lot harder than you might expect. It's draining. It's physically draining to spiritually teach people. And so he's at the end of his day and he's tired. I'm sure half the people, if not all the people in the congregation, wanted to chit-chat with him after. And how did you do that? And where are you from? And who would you say your parents are? And all those kinds of conversations. That's draining to an individual. Then they got to walk. Oh, my gosh. They got to walk to someone's house. I find that physically draining. They walk to someone's house. Then he has to have polite conversation around with a group of people at lunchtime. That's tiring. All right. Then he heals the lady. Uh, the mother there. Then as nighttime comes, all the people begin to gather. And notice it says all of the people of the city that had sicknesses or whatever, they either come to get healed or they come to watch him heal someone. This is a long day. And Jesus is ministering and he's ministering and he's ministering and he's giving out of himself. And that's something we'll see all the gospel writers are going to show. Jesus was prepared to put aside his comfort for the benefit of other people, which is the entire theme of his life, isn't it? He put aside his comfort in heaven so that he could come to this earth and give his life so that sinners can be saved. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. I'm just taking a quick look here to see whose theology is off. We're all sinners, friends. Every one of us in this room is, are sinners. Now, some of us are sinners that have been saved by God's grace. Others of us still remain in a place of sin. Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sins. He came and he gave his life so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He desires 
that you would be forgiven of your sins. If you've never come to the place of recognizing Jesus Christ as your Savior and his work on the cross as your payment for your sin, then I really want to encourage you today, before you go, ask the person who brought you or together with that person, come on up front and we'll explain to you how it is you can receive the gift of salvation for yourself. The majority of us in this room, we've done that. Today could be the day you do that. Amen, good friends? We're going to stop there. We'll pick up in Mark the next time we're together. Father, thank you for this account. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for his willingness to leave his place in heaven. Really at no benefit to himself so that we can be reconciled to God. And Father, we do pray for any that are with us this morning that may not know the Savior. Would you open up their heart to believe today and give them the courage to step out in faith and to receive you as Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the church, please visit ccmercer.com or come worship with us in Ewing, New Jersey on Sundays at 10 a.m.